Well, let's clap our hands all over the house. Give him praise. Give him praise. Come on, let's magnify the name that's above every name. Worship the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor. What a wonderful privilege it is to be back in the house of worship tonight. And uh, double honor to be right here at Cornerstone. Appreciate your pastor and his dear wife. Enjoyed so much our time of fellowship uh, yesterday, last evening. And, uh, you know, it's just a marvelous thing when God puts people together. <clears throat> and, and you have uh, you have compatibility of vision and burden and desire, passion and drive for the things of God. And uh, I love I love what uh, your pastor's approach to the things of God, the work of the Spirit. And uh, he called me back. <clears throat> I guess it was. Um, I can't remember exactly what year it was now, uh, probably around 2013 or 14, I cannot remember, and we had not had a lot of uh, contact, uh, a lot of fellowship and connection as far as close connection, our paths had crossed, and uh, we had a good long conversation on that particular call, and uh, of course since that time. We've had the great opportunity to be together and to have the privilege of preaching in this pulpit uh, is certainly been a high honor for me, and I'm happy to be here tonight. And uh, thank God for what we feel in this place. There's a marvelous touch of the Holy Ghost in this house. And uh, I believe God wants to talk to us. Uh, I have a little bit different uh, message tonight, but I really feel like that the Holy Ghost this afternoon uh, gave me an explicit direction for this service and for tonight. And uh, I don't really worry. I don't fret myself about, um, you know, performance because I don't think it's really in performance. I think it's in doing the will of God. And the one thing I do appreciate very much about your pastor is that he gives me the room. He gives me the privilege of doing what I feel that the Holy Ghost wants. And I appreciate that. And so tonight, I'm probably going to do some preaching, a little bit of preaching, probably do more preaching than I will preaching. It's kind of a blend of teaching and preaching. But I, I really feel this tonight, and I feel like God uh, wants to put some things in the heart of some people here tonight that, that you will never be shaken and you will never be moved from your place in God and your relationship with the ministry. And everybody shout amen. amen. So with that, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 16. 1 Corinthians 14, I'm sorry, verse number 6, not 16. Uh, chapter 14, verse number 6. Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues 
What shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And there's a lot of preaching right there. Verse number six, there's a whole lot of preaching. But Paul made it very, very clear there's basically four areas that he feels are profitable to the church. And that is the area of revelation, of knowledge, of prophesying, and doctrine. Those are the four areas that Paul is saying we labor in so that you can profit. And even things he said without life-given sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise you, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. And everybody shout amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm going to withhold my title for just a few minutes. But there's a lot of people in our world, and especially the religious world, who confuse what the Apostle Paul is trying to accomplish in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. I will tell you tonight, and I'm sure that most of you that have been in church any period of time, that you already know this, but for the benefit of those that may uh, be new to this great walk, you have to understand that chapter 14 is not an attempt by the Apostle Paul to minimize the importance of speaking in tongues. Neither is he trying to explain away the initial evidence of your receiving the Holy Ghost being that you speak with tongues. Amen. Furthermore, he's not muddy in the water between the two. He's not muddy in the water between the gift of the Holy Ghost as an integral part of your salvation and the operation of spiritual gifts in the church. But what he is trying to do is to bring order to a congregation who have allowed themselves to get so caught up and so carried away in quote-unquote spiritual things that the end result is that their worship service has basically descended into a very chaotic and confusing time where no one is really being edified. Amen. And, and you, you see this in the examples that he uses to establish or to explain his position. In verse 7 and verse number 8, he said, even things without life-given sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? 
And then he made another statement with regards to the battlefield. He said, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? And so what really Paul's underlying theme here, now just stay with me for a few minutes. I'm, I'm really trying to establish something in your thinking here tonight. But the underlying theme that Paul is trying to establish is simply this, that in a world with many different voices and all of them vying for our attention and many of them have confusion associated with their voice, what he's really saying is this, that if there is any place that people should be able to go to and get clarity of direction, it should be the church. Amen. It ought to be the church. This ought to be the last place that's confusing. We live in a confusing world. In fact, it's gotten so confused that we got a lot of folks don't even know what restroom to use. Amen. That's the confusion of our time. And they got all kind of voices and all they're, they're all associated with confusing statements and confusing uh, agendas. And so when people come to the house of God, it ought to be the place where there is clarity, where there is an understanding. That when they come and they walk out, they have no doubt about what that church believes. They've got no doubt about where that church stands. Oh, hallelujah. That when they come to this house, they have no doubt the Holy Ghost is in this place. They have no doubt that the word of truth is preached in this place. Woo, hallelujah. In fact, the psalmist said this. He said in 73 and 1, he said, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He said, but as for me, somebody say, as for me. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So the first three verses, what the man is saying is this. He said, I looked at Israel. I looked at the church. I saw how God was blessing the church. I saw how God was being good to his people. And he said, then I looked at the foolish and I was envious because I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. In other words, I was in a state where I saw the church being blessed and I saw the world being blessed and I couldn't figure out why I was in the state that I was in. He said, I'm confused. I don't know which way to turn. I don't know how to handle this. And verse number 16, he said, he went down a whole litany of things between verse 3 and verse 16. And when he got to verse 16, he said, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. In other words, I reached a point where I, in all of my thinking, I was so confused and, and I was suffering with my mind and with my spirit and with my emotions. It was too painful for me. I didn't even know how to handle this. He said in verse number 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. 
This is the place where people should get understanding. This is the place where people should get an understanding about God, about life, about future. Come on, I feel Holy Ghost in this house tonight. Let's praise him. Clap your hands and give him praise. We cannot be ambiguous in our position on the doctrines of the apostolic church. There needs to be a clear note. There's got to be a certain sound that when people walk in this house, they say, now I understand. Hallelujah. I've been told all my life there was three gods, but now I understand there's only one God. I've been told all my life, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But now I understand that neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. Now I understand. Oh, glory to God. I've been told you can live like you want to live, do what you want to do, and you can still be saved. But now I understand, amen, that holiness without, no man shall see the Lord. Now I understand that if I walk with him, if I talk with him, if I walk in the light as he is in the light, I got fellowship with him, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all of my iniquities. Amen. That's why Jesus said in John 8 and 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Hallelujah. That's why, that's why whenever you have people come, new men, new ladies sitting on the pew, you don't need to cringe when your pastor opens up the book and starts preaching it, preaching it plain and straight and right because there's only one way that they're going to get set free and that's if they know the truth because if they never get truth, they're never going to get deliverance. If they never get truth, they're never going to have freedom. They're never going to have liberty. But if they get truth, Man, the last thing you ought to do is sit idly on the sidelines when your pastor is preaching the truths of God's word and hope and pray, oh God, don't let our visitors be offended. Forget about it. You need to be on your feet screaming, yeah, that's right. Preach it, pastor. Say it again. Because it's in the house of worship where people get understanding. They're not going to get understanding in a political rally. They're not going to get understanding in some type of scientific uh, seminar somewhere. They're not going to get understanding about life and eternity and their soul and the condition of their soul. They're not going to get into those places. The only place they're going to get it is when they walk in the house of God and they can be like the psalmist when they leave. They can say, now I understand. Now I understand. So what the writer in 1 Corinthians 4, the speaker is trying to communicate is, 
that the house of God, the house, the sanctuary of worship. Now, now he's not, he is not eliminating the necessity of praise. He's not, uh, he's not minimizing. He's not telling us that those things are not important. That's not what the apostle is saying. He's just talking to a group of people that when they start their service, the entire service was nothing but talking in tongues, and, and that was the measure of it. Amen. Thank God for our worship. Thank God for running the aisles. Thank God for shouting and dancing. Thank God for talking in tongues. He is not eliminating that. He's just saying there comes a point in time where there's got to be a clear note. There's got to be a certain sound. There's got to be the message of salvation preached. There's got to be the word of truth going forth. Amen. And so he says in verse number 10 of that same chapter where we read tonight, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world. And that's where we live tonight because there's the voice of the world there's the voice of the religious world I'm just telling you all around you every day on your job at school in the university wherever it might be in your neighborhood among family among friends there are many many voices and all of these voices are vying for your attention Amen. And so you've got the voice of the world. You've got the voice of the religious world. You've got the voice of temptation. You have the voice of education. You have the voice of civil government. You've got the voice of friends. You've got the voice of families. You've even got the voice of your own flesh. Your own flesh will talk to you and tell you this is not important, that's not important. Can I get a witness? And so what I've come tonight to talk about is the fact that we've got to be careful as to what voice we are lending our hearing. Amen. It is so vital that we know that the voice that we are listening to has our eternal destiny at heart. Now, the key is that all of us can choose what voice that we prefer in our life. A lot of voices. They all have significance. But what's important to every one of us, and listen carefully tonight, I really feel this in the Holy Ghost. I don't just feel it. I feel the unction. I feel the anointing in this. But what is so important is that every one of us establish in our lives a preferred voice that becomes the ultimate authority over all other voices. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, the preferred voice in your life. Amen. The preferred voice. Somebody said the preferred voice. Now, in... For, for the sake of this lesson, for the sake of what I, I feel that the Holy Ghost has put in my heart, I want to draw a contrast between three men in Scripture. I want to contrast King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. 
And I want to show you the voice that each of these men preferred in their life and how those voices affected them. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse number 52, and I don't mind you putting these verses overhead so everyone can see them. I'm not going to be doing a lot of reading, but there's a couple of verses I think are very important. 1 Samuel 14 and 52, it says, And there was sore war against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him unto him. So this particular verse indicates to us the kind of men or the kind of voices that King Saul preferred in his life. He was a man that was always at war. The scripture tells us that there was sore war against the Philistines all the days of Saul. His entire kingship, his entire reign upon the earth is marked by a continuous war, continuous battle in his life. And so he sought out strong men. He sought out valiant men. That's the kind of men that he brought close to himself. He took them unto him because he was a man of war. His preference was valiant men, men who would fight alongside of him with his cause and for his cause. Now if you go to 1 Kings chapter 11, and verse number 28, we have an indication here of the kind of voices that Solomon had as a preference in his life. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. This one verse encapsulates for us the kind of men that Solomon sought out in his reign. He was a man of peace. There was peace during his time of reign. However, there was, there was that desire and drive and passion on Solomon's part to move forward, to build, to construct, to do great things. And so it was that he sought out industrious people, people that had abilities, that had talents, that had managerial uh, abilities, various leadership abilities because of what he did in the course of his reign. He sought out industrious men, men that were capable of carrying out his agenda. Now just a brief look at Solomon's life and Solomon's uh, during the time of his reign You'll notice, and I'm not going to read the verses. I'm just going to give you a few statistics here. He had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. He was building his own house for a period of 13 years. It took him eight years to build the house of the Lord. According to Scripture, he built the city of Milo the wall of Jerusalem, the cities of Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer and Beth Horon. 
He built cities of store and cities for his chariots, cities for his horsemen, and that which Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon and in all the land of his dominion. And also, on top of all of that, he was a man who, who also constructed or built or had built a navy of ships that would sail the high seas. So what do we notice about Solomon? He's always building. He's always constructing. He's always engaged in some kind of a visionary process or project. And so he was a man who was industrious. And he needed industrious voices around him. So I'm showing you two things here to begin with. And that is uh, that it's evident that men seek out the kind of men that will advance their own agenda. Amen. People that are spiritual seek out spiritual people. Carnal people will seek out carnal people. Oh, hallelujah. Gossipers look for other gossipers. Liars look for other liars. Well, I feel Holy Ghost in the house. Somebody shout amen. You've heard the old saying, it is absolutely a fact. Birds of a feather flock together. You see, friend, I made my mind up a long time ago. I don't have time to spend around negative people. I don't have time to spend around people that always want to run down the church or always want to talk about the ministry. I don't even have time to sit around the table with ministers and talk about other ministers. Oh, hallelujah. That's not my game. That's not what I love. If you want to talk about anything, let's talk about the Word of God. Let's talk about the work of God. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. Amen. I, I, I probably not, don't need to get in this, but I'm going to anyway. Somebody say amen. But when you read Numbers chapter 16, you're going to see a man by the name of Korah. And Korah was the man that rose up against Moses. Moses' leadership, the spiritual authority that God had placed in his life. Korah rebelled. Here is always the, the, the essential three-step process where rebellion is concerned. And you will find this in Numbers chapter 16. First of all, whenever you see Korah rising up against Moses, the first thing that Moses did was quite, or that Korah did was question the spiritual leadership trying to prove that they are wrong in their decisions and in those things that they are doing. That's the first step of rebellion. Anybody that rebels against the ministry, the first thing they're going to do is do their best to question their leadership and then try to prove that they are wrong. Oh, hallelujah. The second thing, and you see this in every single situation, the second step is the one in rebellion then tries to prove that they are right. The first step is I'm going to prove the pastor wrong. Second step, I'm going to prove that I'm right. The third step is that they go out looking for others that they can poison with their rebellion who will join with them in their rebellion. 
Can I just tell you how to put a stop to all of that? Can I tell you how to handle that? Amen. Make up your mind right now, here and now, tonight, that if anybody rises up and they want your ear to start talking against the ministry, you need to look at them and say, listen, I've got a little word for you that I want you to clearly understand. I am not interested in talking to you about my pastor, about my spiritual leadership, about spiritual authority in my life. Well, hallelujah. I am preaching to a bunch of apostolics here tonight, am I not? Woo, hallelujah. You need to stop it at step number one. You don't need to wait until step number three. Stop it at step number one. Turn your ear away from them. Walk away from them. Slam the phone down. Make it very clear. I'm not on your team. I'm not part of your plan. I'm not playing your game. That's not what I'm going to do. My mind is made up. I'm, oh, glory to God. Help us, Lord Jesus. Woo, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I feel Holy Ghost in the house. Amen, 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 amen. Well, 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 hallelujah. Ah, God, help me right now. I feel like I'm treading in a place where the enemy don't want me to go. But I'm going to go ahead and tread there anyhow. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you, hear me tonight. You need to thank God for a pastor with a vision. But we have a nice building. Why do we need another building? I'll tell you why. Because you're not the only one that God wants to save. You're not the only one that God wants to bring out of the world. You're not the only one that God wants to deliver from the bondage of sin and death. Can I get a witness? Amen. So it's the choice of your friends that would determine your ultimate destiny. I don't have time to preach number 16 tonight. I just threw that in for a little something extra tonight. But you need to realize when that spirit crops up, it'll poison your spirit just like that if you lend an ear to it. So you got to make up your mind. I'm preferring a voice in my life. Now, so we have Saul who had valiant men, strong men that he preferred in his life. And then you have Solomon who preferred industrious men, sought out industrious men. But if we look at the life of David, what we're going to see about David is number one, he had valiant men. you got to think of David's top 30 men. And then the top three out of the 30. And all of the great warriors he had. So David had valiant men. Because of the great things that David did in his own kingship, he also had men around him that were industrious men. Men that had ability. Men that could get the job done. So he had both valiant men and industrious men. However, there was a third type of a man in David's life 
who he preferred above all others. And that was a godly man, a prophet, a preacher, somebody that he could listen to that would give him sound counsel, that would not be carnal counsel, but spiritual counsel. Men that were in touch with God. Men that understood what it was like to be led by the Spirit of God. Oh, hallelujah. The one voice that you see consistently in David's life was the voice of a godly man. He listened to all three of those men, but he preferred the voice of the godly man above all others. And I have many examples of that in his life. My preaching here tonight is to encourage you that no matter what comes your way, no matter what things are said to you, you need to say in your heart, I'm going to filter what I'm hearing through the voice that's godly, through the voice of authority, through the voice of my man of God. And if what I'm hearing doesn't match up with what the voice that's preferred in my life is saying, that I'm not going to adhere to the voices that are around me. Amen. And so we see David anointed. And then the next thing that we see happening in David's life is he's playing the harp. He's singing songs and melodies and psalms in the presence of King Saul. Saul has a spirit come over him. Hatred arises in his heart, and he thrusts a javelin at David. Hallelujah. Threw it to kill him. His intent was to kill him. David rose up and ran. He fled for his life. And if you'll read your Bible, and I don't have time, if you'll just take the time to start at 1 Samuel chapter 16 and begin to read down through David's life, you're going to find every one of these examples to be in his life. But you don't find David when he fled from the house of Saul. He doesn't fly, re, uh, flee to the valiant man's house. And he doesn't flee to an industrious man's house. He runs to the prophet. Woo, hallelujah. He runs to the man of God that had anointed him, that had laid his hands on him, that prophesied about his future. And he spent some time there in the presence of Samuel the prophet. Amen. I don't know how long he was there, but he was there for a period of time. I wonder what Samuel said to David. I wonder what he talked about to David. When David is there saying, I don't understand what's going on. All I was doing was trying to worship. All I was doing was trying to appease the evil spirits that were coming against my king. All I was trying to do was, was fulfill a responsibility and he tried to kill me. How do I handle this, Samuel? I believe that the prophet of God said, David, I got one word of advice to you. I know Saul. I 
know his spirit. I know his attitude. I know how God has handled him. I'm just going to tell you, David, how to handle this. Whatever you do, don't learn the ways that make a valiant man go mad. Don't learn the ways that make a strong man go mad. There's another way to handle it. There's another way to deal with the situation. David, whatever you do, keep your spirit right. Keep your heart right. Keep your mind in the right place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're going to face things sometime. You're going to deal with situations that you don't know how to handle. In fact, you're going to deal with problems even in the house of God. You're going to deal with trouble sometime even in the king's house. Amen. Joseph, he said, the Lord has blessed me. His first son was born, he called him Manasseh. He said, because the Lord has made me forget the toil of my father's house. Joseph's problem was not with his father. His problem was with his brethren. It was with, oh, hallelujah. This is the only place, this is the narrow window that we can look into the soul of Joseph and see where his greatest struggle was. His struggle was not with the Ishmaelites that took him down to Egypt and sold him on the auction block to Potiphar. His struggle was not with Potiphar, his master as a slave to him. His struggle was not even with Potiphar's wife. His struggle was not the jailhouse. That was not what he struggled with. What he struggled with was the fact that his brethren betrayed him, that his brethren sold him. I'm going to tell you tonight, sometime you're going to run into problems even in the house of God. Let me tell you how to handle it. Don't go looking for a strong man. Don't go looking for an industrious man to get your advice from. But go, hallelujah, to the prophet. Go to the man of God. Ask the man of God to give you direction. Let me tell you what he's going to tell you. Keep a right spirit. Keep a right attitude. Keep your focus. Don't lose your focus. Don't get distracted. What I'm preaching tonight is not something that I have preached a long time. The Lord just gave me this not very long ago. And it's a burden in my spirit. Because I note and I watch where people run to the wrong source for their help. Amen. Because the valiant man, I'll probably touch on this later, but the valiant man is only interested in helping you fight for your right. And the industrious man is really only concerned for your welfare, your future, your financial position, whatever it might be. But your prophet is concerned for your soul. Huh? Your prophet, oh glory to God, 
whenever, whenever God blesses you with an increase and you've got an opportunity for a job change and you come to your pastor and you tell him, Pastor, I've got this chance. I've got this opportunity and it's going to double my income. He's not going to ask you how much your tithes is going to be. He's not going to ask you how much your increase of offering is going to be. He's going to ask you, how's this going to affect your walk with God? How's it going to affect your consecration, your devotion, your commitment to the things of God? Because he's not interested in how much you tithe. He's interested in you going to heaven. He's interested in your soul being saved. Amen. David ran for his life again. The next time he's running for his life, we find in Scripture, he runs to the house of God. And when he gets to the house of God, he speaks to a godly man. And he asked a godly man for bread. And he asked a godly man for a sword, something to fight with. Hallelujah. Amen. And the godly man said, we've got hallowed bread. We've got special bread. Let me tell you, friend, when you are running for your life and you don't know which way to go, here's your answer. Right here is your answer. Come back, park it on the pew, and say, Preacher, preach to me. Let me feed on the word of life. Let me feed on the bread of life. When David asked for a sword, the godly man said, Yeah, we got a sword here. said, It's the sword of Goliath. said, It's wrapped back here in a linen ephod. Well, if you read anything about the linen ephod, you'd find out it was a holy garment. It was a holy piece of cloth. That sword had been sanctified. That sword had been wrapped in something holy. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, whenever you need something to fight with, when you need something in the struggle of life, your pastor's not going to put something in your hand that is unholy, that's unrighteous, that won't get the job done. But if he puts a sword in your hand, it'll be a righteous sword. He's not going to tell you to fight fire with fire. He's not going to tell you to fight bitterness with bitterness and anger with anger and strife with Oh, help me, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, you hear me tonight. He's going to put something in your hand that when you go to fight, it's not going to be an ungodly fight. It's not going to be an unrighteous fight. But it'll be a holy armor. It'll be a holy weapon that when you're walking through that valley and you're fighting for your very soul's sake, God is going to give you the strength you need to survive it because you got your help from the right source. Is there anything wrong with having industrious men in your life? No. Is there anything wrong with having valiant men in your life? No. But the key is, who do you prefer as your voice? Who holds the position of preference in your life? Three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines when David simply said, Oh, that one would give me water that's from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. And three valiant men, three mighty men break through 
and they got to the well. They drew the water out of the well, and they brought that water right back to David. And when they held that water out to David, David took the water in his hands. Amen. You know what David did with the water that was brought back by the valiant men? He poured it out on the ground. And I know there's several applications to that story, but I believe the application I'm about to make is just as valid as any of the others. David understood that you can't drink everything a valiant man brings to you. That sometime you need to sacrifice that for the greater cause. You need to sacrifice that for the greater voice. You need to sacrifice it to realize that, that it's not the valiant man that's going to maintain my life. It's not the valiant man that's going to give me what I need to survive. give you another example right along that same line. David had an Amalekite come to him. This is after Saul had died on the battlefield. And the Amalekite came to David and began to tell David, said, look, I was there. I saw him on the battlefield. And, and he said he was wounded. He didn't want, he didn't want the, the, the enemy to take his life. He said, so I fell on him and I killed him. And he said, I have brought to you the symbols of kingship. I brought the golden scepter. I brought the crown. I brought all these things to you, David. I'm giving it to you. But you got to understand when David looked at that Amalekite, amen, he understood who the Amalekite was. Because when you study the Amalekite in Scripture, he is the personification of the flesh. He comes out of Edom. He goes all the way back to Esau. Everything that satisfies the flesh. And when David saw the flesh with the symbols of kingship in it, he stepped back. He did not reach out his hand to take the kingship from the hand of flesh. He said, oh, no. I remember there was a day that a prophet laid his hands on me. There was a prophet that prophesied over me. There was a prophet that anointed me. And when God gets ready to set me on the throne, I won't take the power from the hand of the flesh. I got news for you, friend. It'll never be flesh that brings you up to a position in God. If you get a position in God, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Come on. It's not flesh that's going to crown you. It's not flesh that's going to anoint you. It's not flesh that's going to give you the power of the throne. It's the anointing of God that's going to give it to you. Go ahead and get filled with ambition. Let your heart be filled with unsanctified ambition. And you'll be like an axe head. It'll be hanging from the tree by your head. Ooh. You know what David told Joab and all of them go light, go easy on that. Go easy on that. Go easy on the young man. 
know why David said that? Because David understood that there is no measure of ambition that will supersede the anointing. He knew that he was anointed to sit on the throne and that Absalom only had ambition to sit on the throne. Help me, Jesus. I don't know where I'm plowing tonight, but I feel something so strong in the Holy Ghost in this place. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to tell you, friend, it's got to be the anointing that elevates you. It's the anointing that brings you up. It's the anointing that gives you that lift in the things of God. And it'll never be by the hand of flesh. Some men whose talent took them places that their talent just didn't have to take them. Their talent took them places that they had no anointing to maintain their talent. Amen. I know you'll say no. I know. I'm not at the throne yet, but I will get there because I was anointed to be there. And I'm not about to take it out of the hand of an Amalekite. Don't let your don't let your family call you a fool. Don't let your wife call you a fool. Preach on this, Pastor. You're doing all right. Don't let your friends call you to preach. If you're call, if you're called to preach, let God do the calling. Let God do the anointing. You won't be embarrassed. You won't be let down. God will put you where he wants you to be. When David sinned with Bathsheba, when David failed in his life, it wasn't the valiant man that saved him. And it wasn't the industrious man that saved him. tell you something, friend, when you fail and you're face down in the mud, that valiant man that you had such close friendship with won't be able to save you in that hour. You know who broke through the whirlwind of, of, of shame and guilt and all that David was going through because of his adultery? The one voice that broke through and saved him was the voice of the prophet. know why that voice saved him because it was the preferred voice in his life it was the voice that he consistently went to whenever he was in desperate need of divine direction amen you'll fail i'm not i'm not saying that you have to but i'm just telling you as flesh there'll be a point sometime you're going to fail you're going to be struggling. You're going to find yourself warring against your very carnality, your very flesh. And you're going to wonder, can I even survive this? And if you have a preferred voice that is the voice of your prophet, when you come to the house of God, you won't be closed. Your mind won't be closed. Your hearing won't be closed. But his voice will break through. And it will say, come on, you can make it. Come on, you can survive. Get up from where you are. You don't have to die. You don't have to be lost. I wish somebody praised him right now. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Do you know why David repented? He repented because he heard the voice of a godly man speaking to him. He had great visions. He had great desires. And I'm trying to rush through this because I don't want to hold you all night. But he had great plans. He wanted to build a house for God to dwell in. He took the plans. He met with that prophet of God. And at first, the godly man said, do all this in your heart. But that night, God said, you told him wrong. Go back and tell him he can't build the house. Now, first of all, there's, there's, there's a couple things about this that, that strikes me. Number one, David had enough honor to God and the man of God that he gave the man of God room to be wrong the first time. To even miss it. And come back and correct it. Ooh, hallelujah. Huh? He had enough honor. He had enough respect. That he didn't find fault with the preacher because he came back and said, I told you wrong last night. This is really what God was saying. Second thing about that is that the prophet of God said, David, you can't build this house. You've been a man of war. When the prophet said that, David went to the house of worship, found him a place to pray. And this is basically what he said in that prayer was, God, I thank you that you've let me be what I have been in your kingdom. Thank you for allowing me to serve. Thank, thank you so much for what you've done for me. You've done so much for me. What does that tell you about David? It tells you that David knew how to take a no. Because you never prove what you are when someone says yes. You prove what you are when someone says no. Oh, pastor, I got this great idea. I've got this marvelous idea. Oh, we'll do this. If we look, 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 I got it all lined out. And your pastor's looking at it saying, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to fly. This is going to be like a flock of dogs. Bunch of lead balloons. It ain't going to work. And when he looks at you and says no, when you walk away, your attitude about that no tells really what you are. If he were to say yes, that's not that doesn't say anything about you. Oh, glory to God. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you out as the choir director. No, you can't be the choir director any longer. I'm I'm sure he's not gonna tell Sister Mailer that, but anyway, it is. Hallelujah. He thought about it. He's like, he's like, he's like a friend of mine. I'll ask him a question. Are we going to do this? And he'll say, well, he said, I thought about it. I laughed about it. And I forgot about it. <laughs> Amen. But my point is that, that when you're told no, how you handle that. If you can come back and stand and worship and say, God, I'm just glad I'm in the church. I'm just glad I'm living for you. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. 
I may not have been able to do what I thought was a grand idea, but that's all right, God. I'm still going to live for you. I'm still going to be what you want me to be. Come on now. If you backslide over a no, you didn't even know that you were living for God anyhow. Amen. The closest that David came to listening to the wrong voice was whenever a man by the name of Nabal rejected David's request for assistance. Whenever David David got the word back from Nabal that Nabal said, David, who's David? I don't know a David. Whenever David had protected his flocks and herds, had protected him against robbers, had protected him against people that would take his wealth away from him. And now he's saying, who is David? Amen. The valiant men around David are saying, let's take his head off. We can take care of that guy. We took care of all the robbers coming against him. We can go down and take care of him too. And David strapped the sword on. There was blood in his eyes. There was a, there was a, a face set toward vengeance. And he's on his way to kill Nabal. And on his way, the wife of Nabal, Abigail, met him in the cave. And he said, David, God's with you. Great things are in your future. This man that you're going to go kill right now, he ain't worth killing. It's not worth you getting your hands dirty. In fact, he said, if you do, she said, if you do this, this will be against you in your kingship, in your future. Whatever you do, David, don't do this. Do you know that David actually had enough about him? You see, Abigail, Abigail said, listen, listen, David, it's right. Listen, it's true. Nabal is a man that a man cannot talk to. That's sad when you're a man that a man can't talk to. But David was not only a man that a man could talk to, David was a man that a woman could talk to. Somebody help me here tonight. Amen. He wasn't just a man that a man could talk to. He was a man that a woman could talk to. And I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to move on so I don't get egged out of the pulpit. Amen. But brethren, I'm going to tell you, our wives have a certain ability about them to see things in a way that we don't see them. Amen. I hate it when my wife is right. But I certainly appreciate it whenever I went ahead and did what I thought was right and it proved that it was wrong and she was right. I appreciate it that she never says to my face, it's right. She she doesn't say anything. She just looks at me. There's that certain look. And that look says it all. 
But he had the ability to listen to a godly voice. You see, it wasn't so much that it was just the voice of the prophet. It was a godly voice that he knew how to listen to. And, and, and I'm going to wrap this up here. Give me just a few more minutes. It's, it's five minutes till nine for the clock watchers. We're still November 12th for those that look at the calendar. But there's a certain danger in your life when the valiant man and the industrious man team up against the word of the godly man. Acts 27, 9, Paul said, now when, the time, when, now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said, sirs, now this is the godly man, this is the prophet. He said, sirs, I perceive that this voice, that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master. The valiant man believed the industrious man. The centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. When the valiant man and the industrious man got together, they teamed up. And they went against the word of the apostle Paul. And his prophecy came true. Can I just tell you, friend, that, that there's a lot of storms that the valiant man and the industrious man will put you in that you would never have to go through if you would listen to the voice of the godly man. Say amen. All right, I'm closing. And I want to point out two things in the end, or actually three things because we're dealing with three men. I want to show you the end of Saul's life. Put it up on the screen for me. First Chronicles 10 and 13. First Chronicles 10 and 13. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit. We can talk about the method by which he died, but that's not the reason he died. He died because he listened to the wrong voice. Amen. And then whenever you go to 1 Kings 11 and 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go in unto them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their God. Solomon clave unto these in love. It came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart away from Turn away his heart after other gods. His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. And Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as David his father. Solomon died listening 
to the wrong places. But hear what the Bible says about David, 1 Kings 15 and 5. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And turn not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Can't you look at that? David did that which was right. The end of David's life, the word of God records it, that he did what was right in the eyes of God. That he turned not aside from anything that he commanded him. The only thing God held against David was the slaying of Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. You see, God didn't even hold his adultery against him. You know what he held against him? His effort to cover it up. That's what God held against him. That's the only mark. Everything else God said, he did what was right. What a testimony. In fact, the testimony is so great that from that point on, every king that ascended the throne after David was measured by the standard of David. Always. It said one of two things. He did that which was right as David his father did in the eyes of the Lord. Or he did not that which was right as David his father did. Every king that ascended the throne after David was measured by the David standard. You know why? Because he had a preferred voice in his life. I'm going to tell you how to be a model saint. Are you ready? Tell you how to be a model saint. It's all right to have uh, industrious men around you, industrious people. It's all right to have voices in your life that help you in certain aspects of life. But you've got to have a preferred voice that supersedes all other voices. You see, David, David is in the cave. He's in the cave. And, and, and as he's in the cave with his valiant men, they look in the distance, and in the cave comes Saul with his valiant men. And Saul and his men lay down to sleep. And David, with his valiant men, are trying to slip out of the cave past Saul and his men. And when he's passing Saul, a valiant man says, David, here's your chance. Wow, what an opportunity. God's given you a chance to kill your enemy, to slay him right here while he sleeps. And I can hear David as he said, you know, that sounds really good, but there's a voice ringing in my ears that says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophet no harm. Touch not mine anointed. In other words, there's the voice a preference in my life that tells me that sometimes the valiant man is wrong about the will of God for my life. And the industrious man can be wrong about the will of God for my life. But the prophet of God, he's not going to be wrong. And I'm going to be safe if I listen to the voice that is my preferred voice. Let's stand.
I don't know what you came expecting tonight. I just know that this afternoon I had sought the Lord throughout the course of the day. And about mid-afternoon, I felt so strong the burden of the Holy Ghost in this message. Not because that I feel and have uh, that I felt that there's any major issue, but the fact being that sometimes the enemy would like to push some people to the forefront of your life and let their voice become the overwhelming voice of your life when in reality God has given you a voice for the purpose of saving your soul for the purpose of keeping you from the judgment of hell to be a part of his great kingdom and every one of us tonight we need to go home and write it in our Bible the preferred voice of my life is my master praise God it's alright for you to say here's some valiant men in my life and here's some industrious men but the preferred voice of my life because there's one thing I know about that voice he's concerned about my eternal destiny he's concerned about that more than he is anything else he wants to see me saved I feel such a sweet presence of God in this house I feel such a receptivity to the word of God tonight would you just lift your voices would you pray Holy Ghost help me help me to not listen to the voice of my flesh help me to not listen to the voices around me that are detrimental to my relationship with you but help me to have a help me to embrace this preferred voice would you pray right now in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, I feel like we ought to lift our voice right now. We ought to thank God for our pastor. Thank God for the spiritual leadership of our life. Thank God for the man that labors in the Word. He's worthy of double honor. Come on, church. I'm asking you right now. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. I want you to thank God for your pastor right now. Thank God for the prophet of God that's in your life. Thank God for a voice. A voice that breaks through the confusion of this world. Come on, let's pray. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him for the voice that breaks through all of the confusion. All of the voices that surround you. There's a voice that breaks through that helps you, that gives you faith, that helps you walk with God. Would you pray? Would you reach out to him right now?
tremendous word. Tremendous word of God to you. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Let's find a place to pray tonight. Before we finish praying, I really feel like doing something tonight. I want some of you brethren to come up here and gather around your pastor. Some of you men that are full of the Holy Ghost, just lay your hands on your pastor. Pray God strengthen you. Some of you dear ladies, preachers, wives, whoever you are here tonight, right where Sister Mayo is, I want you to gather around your pastor's wife. I want you to lay your hand on them. I want you to pray for them right now. Come on, we can lend some Holy Ghost strength. Amen. They do not have to carry the burden of this by themselves. They don't have to carry it alone. 
Hallelujah. That's it, ladies. Come on up. Some of you come up. Amen. Join hands and lay, put your hand on your wife. Lay your hand on your pastor. Come on, God's able tonight. God's able to endue them with an strength, with an energy. God is able tonight to put his mighty hand upon them in such a powerful measure. Come on, I feel this in the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's build a wall of protection. Come on, let's build a wall of protection around right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Holy Ghost, lay your hand on Sister Mayo tonight. Let the healing virtue of your spirit flow through her body. Let a divine strength be hers. Restore her health. Restore her strength. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, come on. In the name of Jesus. Bring restoration right now. Bring restoration to this body. Bring restoration to this soul. In the name of Jesus. Woo! Come on, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Pray. Pray. I feel the Holy Ghost strength flowing right now. I feel the Holy Ghost strength flowing right now. I feel the Holy Ghost strength flowing right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, God's in this church. God's in this. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Ah, thank you for what you're doing right now, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing right now, Jesus. Thank you for the work you're doing right now, Jesus. Thank you for healing. Thank you for strength. Thank you for your touch. Thank you, Lord, for your glory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Holy God. Thank you, Holy God. Thank you, Holy God. Thank you, righteous God. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
I know it's late and we've all got places to go, but I just want to say this. It's services like this that make us truly apostolic. It just is. Many, many, many moons ago, I told, well, it was after the first time you preached for me. I said, I want you to come through here as an elder. And tonight is the voice of an elder. Thank you. Thank you. But with that being said, and I don't want to belabor it, but with that with that liberty that I give to him God honors us by using me see there's a lot of people that close themselves off they plug a lot of holes up because of the voice of preference instead of just turning it loose and just let God be God Let's just lift our hands and thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Brother Bab. Thank you for being in alignment with God. Letting God use you. God, open up the windows of heaven, I pray. Pour out your divine favor, your grace, your strength, your leading, your guiding on every family, every single person, every life that's in this church. Ask it in Jesus' name. Let's just praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise God. Praise God. Shake hands and be friendly. We're going to have a great time. Tomorrow night we're having prayer. I think we've got a baptism tomorrow. A baptism on Friday before the wedding rehearsal. And uh, wedding on Saturday at 11 a.m. Be inviting people out Sunday. We're going to have a great time. In Jesus' name. Shake hands. Be friendly. Smile at somebody. Give somebody you don't normally greet. Go up to somebody and just start smiling. <laughs> Jesus' name. God bless you.